Hello, welcome to Talk Julia. My name is David Amos. And my name is Randy Davila. And my name is Miguel Ras. <laughs> yes, Miguel, thank you so much for joining us. Gracias. This week we have Miguel on the show, joining us from Mexico City, right? Yes, sir. Well, Miguel, first of all, thank you so much for, for joining us. This is absolutely fantastic. Thank you for inviting me. Tell us a little bit about yourself, what you're doing, and how you uh, got into Julia. Well, um, I started with Julia because there's this professor called David Sanders and he gave a computation he gives a computational physics course in my university UNAM uh, National Autonomous University of Mexico and you know all of my friends are like hey you have to take uh, David Sanders class and Julia's the Julia's the next big thing man you're missing out if you don't and I'm like what so there's this other like really big professor in computational physics actually numerical relativity stuff so simulating black holes on a computer. I'd gone to his conferences before and he said, like, if you're not using Fortran, you're just wasting your time with physics and coding. And I was like, I better take some <laughs> Fortran courses then. And then I went to David Sanders course and, um, and he said, no, there's no point to learning Fortran today. Just use Julia. It's 50 times better. And I was like, who should I listen to? And um, eventually I figured out, I, I was just like Googling random silly stuff. I mean, the stuff you turn in for class, it's like, I don't know that Julie is like the really big difference. I mean, it's neat, but it's like a, you know, it's a fancy calculator with extra steps and <laughs> plus things. Alan Edelman says that for his course too. It's like for this course, like we're using a glorified calculator. It just doesn't get in the way as much as it could. And uh, at some point I figured out that there was like a link on the Julia Lang site that led to a Slack or Gitter. And so I started hanging out on Gitter. And that's where I met um, Scott Jones and Christopher Caucus and Seth Bromberger. And and eventually, I think I, I, I landed on Discourse. And then I just saw that there was like a post by like this really weird Viking dude. And he was answering questions like deep lore Julia questions about the compiler or something. I'm like, wow, this guy knows a lot. And he and, and like, I just asked like, hey, how do I install Julia or something? It was like something really trivial or like what is a parser and he's like and i don't know stefan wrote like uh, three or four paragraphs and very kind it was stefan or jeff or something and i was like who's this person and then i was like oh stefan karpinski is like co-creator of the julia language and i'm like what these people are <laughs> online and it's weird because like you know coming from physics all the last names of the people that you read about in the textbooks and the stuff you're learning, like, you know, someone sat with Einstein, you know, they they get like a conference hall in their name in the university, right? Like, it's like these big, old, like, untouchable white dudes that you can't really like have <laughs> access to. It's a very different feeling of like to contribute to that yeah. you have to like toil for 15 years to like maybe make a dent into humanity's knowledge of like what it means to be part of the universe or whatever when it comes to coding it's like ah yeah just send a pull request like you've helped and so there's there's such a there's such a lower gap to like feeling useful in yeah. programming languages like there's way more work to do than there are people at any rate um i, I realized that stefan had answered and i was like oh this is cool. I don't really know why, but this feels really cool. And so I just started like poking around. And th this is my Ju my actual Julia origin story, which I just contributed to the Julia 10 years blog post, which people haven't read. It's just a collection of like really cool Julia people saying how they got started. And so I added, the, I just added the 101st entry. Nice. And so my, my decision to learn Julia was to, you know, hang around on the Gitter and the Slack and try and like code up examples. And I couldn't even use an IDE 
I didn't know Vim. I didn't know like a lot of stuff that like I didn't know what a struct was until like two years into like when I was using Julia. You sound a lot like me. <laughs> so here's here's the funny part is that I figured out that the best way to get up to speed on what hap was happening in Julia was to read up as much as I could. And the best way to do that was to uh, sign up for the GitHub notifications because, I don't know, GitHub seemed to be like the place where programmers were. <laughs> and so I started getting a lot of notifications from like all the Julia contributors. And I, I remember that there was this one guy that every day at midnight would just boom, come in with like six or seven code contributions. He'd be running like benchmarks all over the place. He'd be telling people like, Oh, this just finished. I made a report about it. And I was like, oh my, like, who's this like Australian hero coder dude, right? So it looked like he had a, like a picture of the crocodile Dundee. And so it took me like embarrassingly long to figure out that this person's name was the Nano Soldier. And I don't know if you know who the Nano Soldier is, but the Nano Soldier is a bot. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> and they've trained the bot to accept like commands. And it's like, hey, bot, please run these benchmarks. And they just have like this script for the benchmarks. And they'll say like, oh, the benchmarks are finished. Here's the finished progress report or whatever. And I, for the longest time, I was just like... You know, this this guy, he always comes in at midnight. You know, he's, he's pulling out all the stats. He, he He's done contributions to the compiler, to the parser, to the everything, to linear. He just knows everything. And it's a very humbling origin story for me. It's like, oh, I thought the Nana Soldier was a real person. That's really funny. Yeah. <laughs> I've always been a fan of physics. One of the reasons why I went to school was I wanted to study physics originally. I ended up studying mathematics, but I wanted to study physics. You're in a physics PhD program, correct? No. Oh, you're not? No, no, no. I'm, I'm, I'm still an undergraduate. So this is actually, this is very interesting to me now because most of the people that um, I encounter that know Julia are definitely like graduate students, like almost at their PhD or like professors. So it's, it's awesome that you're already doing that like you're already in the julia ecosystem and a part of the community which by the way the way that you were talking about it earlier just reminds me of how kind of close the julia community is and how like supportive the julia community is which is pretty awesome it might still be a small village i don't know like that it's easy to measure there's still like only one big annual conference for julia i mean there's local meetups but they're not the same like if you want to compare to python there's like PyConf and there's SciPy and there's there's a gajillion Python conferences. Like so everyone that I think is a core Julia language dev like still kind of fits in my head as a concept, which is not that many people. There, there's this I don't know if you know this concept called a truck factor, but it's at some point someone looked at open source software and they were like, hmm, how many people would have to be run over by a truck on a Monday for your open source project to be dead? <laughs> <laughs> and for us it's still like, I don't know. 10 people like if, if, if 10 core Julia contributors got knocked out I mean there, there's a way that you can sort of quantify this by like lines of codes contributed and something we should really clone Jeff and Stefan and Keno like that that's the moral of the story <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> it'll get there it'll get there soon too I think are you getting to use Julia at all in your undergrad program or so it's it's been interesting so I, I took uh, David Sanders course there's also Louise Bennett's course those were like optional that was an optional course and those were great those focus mostly on the like using julia as a calculator like it could have been python we start out with examples of like this is why you can use python like here's dual numbers here's all the differential equation stuff here's like why it's fast and why you won't be installing conda mid-course and you can't really talk about like 
hey, this is multiple dispatch. Like, hey, let's build like an ecosystem of like third-party dependencies with binary builder and like have our users not worry about installing that. Like there's all these software engineering practices that Julia just like sort of smooths over that you just nightmares that you will not have. Communicating like you're not going to have this pain anymore is really hard to people who have like barely turned in like a couple dozen programming assignments. It's great to hear though that, you know, like you said, even though, you know, it's an undergraduate course, you're using Julia basically as like a calculator, but at the same time, they are introducing Julia as like, here's this language that you're, you're going to have to learn. So they're emphasizing it, right? So there's definitely a current of professors who are like, all right, let's use Julia in our courses for like intro to programming. And they're like, they're getting, they're getting people hooked. Right, exactly. May I also run a commercial? I just got a word for, there, there's an institute for applied mathematics at UNAM called the IMAS. IMAS is a, a uh, graduate studies and research institute that does applied mathematics research. Instituto de Investigaciones en Matemáticas Aplicadas y Sistemas, I think. I, don't, I never remember the full acronym, but the point is, they do a whole bunch of applied math stuff. And I just got an email that I will be giving a 20-hour intensive Julia course there. Oh, awesome. I'm really <laughs> stoked. Yeah. I think it's going to be called something like Julia for people in a hurry. And I'm just going <laughs> to pack in so much content. <laughs> you will have faster code by the end of this. So help me God. Will that be like recorded or will that be available to people outside of the university at all? Or You will have to pay to take the course, but I do plan to release the source materials. Okay, perfect. I don't know if I'll be releasing all the recordings. But at least like all the Pluto notebooks and stuff and like all the cheat sheets and like, hey, this is what you should have learned yesterday. I'm, I'm thinking that there's going to be like a really cool structure for like, because they just, like this institute is like applied math. So there's people that do like everything from like, I don't know, chaotic systems to like epidemiology to like biomedicine and like just everywhere. So I can't really assume people's background. Like it'd be way easier just to say like, all right, screw it. This is everywhere we use Julian physics, right? <laughs> and just like go with that. So I, I think I want to do like one day will be like a natural sciences and one day will be like a social sciences kind of day and just like pick up different examples. It's like, all right, you can, I'll give you three branches of science where you can apply Julia today. Like choose your own adventure. Yeah, that'll be great. When, when that's available, the, um, the code and everything, let us know. Cause we'll, be happy to blast it out, yeah. Oh yeah, I'll you you will hear about it. I will blast it, and it's, it's going to be in Spanish too. Oh, awesome! Speaking of, before we started recording, um, I think David might have mentioned to me that uh, there, you were curious about uh, JuliaCon in Spanish. I'm not curious about it. I'm helping organize it. In fact, let me announce on this very podcast: we just re we just received last week the very first Julia Spanish submission for JuliaCon. So. JulieCon has only been in English so far, as far as I know. It was at the, you know, Catherine Hyatt, Dr. Catherine Hyatt suggested that we run JulieCon in other languages as well. And just like, all right, release the call for proposals. If people submit something, we'll find someone who speaks Russian or German or simplified Chinese. And we'll try and review it and let people give it in their native language. Like, just have it open to more people. Because, right? I mean, there's, there's like all these buildings from all over the world here. And then if you don't let them speak their language, it's not very, <laughs> it doesn't feel very international. <laughs> but this is, this is a big step. And um, Spanish is the first submission to get on there that's not in English. So I'm, I'm, I'm poking everyone on my Twitter. It's like, hey, mete algo a JuliaCon. And they're like, no, <laughs> I'm too anxious. And I'm like, I know, but you should still do it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And I get the anxiety. That's, you know, it's totally natural and understandable yeah the first JulieCon talk i gave was like um i i think it was also repl stuff 
on Dr. Doc Strings, I think. And they were like, um, someone just told me like, hey, you should submit a Julian talk. And I'm like, me? What? I'm not a genius. And then it's like, you don't get how this works. Like we, we, we tell everyone like your work is worth it. Just like go up, share it. And it's really cool. And that's true. It is. I mean, it's always nice to see from just from like an audience member's perspective. I love seeing like, here's a you know, a sophomore, like a second year undergraduate student talking about the research project they did, they got to use some cool Python package or some cool Julia package or whatever. And yet they're not experts in the language. They're not even experts maybe in the subject matter that they're talking about. But it's it's so much fun to see and hear about their experience. We've had middle schoolers submit to JuliaCon. That's amazing. The, the most interesting one that I remember was a middle schooler who started doing like musical notation exercises. And they use okay. Julia to like graph some of that and like calculate and do some plots about it. And they were like, hi, I'm blah, blah, blah in eighth grade. And I'm using Julia for whatever. And I'm like, <laughs> that's this is awesome. so cool. Exactly. Um, yeah. And, and so first of all, I think there has to be like some recognition from the organizers that they were like, let's open up a track that's just for people who are diving into the language. And those are called experiences. And so they're super low fuss. They're like, all right, tell us who you are, three minutes, what problem you solved with Julia, like what was cool about it, the first time you tried it. Like, the, like that's the goal for people to like start stepping into the community. It's not like, hey, we want to hear about the super new genius thing you did with Julia. It's like, yeah, those people will talk about it. Like, we'll hear about them. Great. That's not the space for them. This is the space to hear about people who are new to the community and the language and we're starting out and that's exactly the kind of like bridges that you want to build. Right. Yeah. So like, I appreciate a, the foresight that people had um, from like other great language conferences, but also be like the fact that like teenagers can like submit to Julicon and get in. It's like, it was a really great talk, like objectively. Yeah. So I was also video editor for Julicon last year and there was a certain block of like 30 minutes of Julicon talks. And the first 15 were about how they were using Julia for particle physics at the LHC or something. And like just like massive amounts of like, I don't know, petabyte data crunching, sure, something yeah. incredible. Yeah. And then the next 15 minutes was someone who went like, you know what? I should use Monte Carlo methods to optimize my Pokemon strategies. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and it was just like the breakneck switch, <laughs> like context switch was amazing. Yeah. That's really funny. Oh, and talking about conferences, actually, it, the, the, I think the canonical Julia Mexican origin story is because David Sanders went to a SciPy conference. So David Sanders, before he was a Julia Stan, he was a Python Stan. <laughs> <laughs> and um, he, so almost everyone in Mexico that's really into Julia like, has heard that like, David Sanders was like the person who really got into him. So he's like where the lineage starts. That's where all the grad student genealogy uh, originates and so david sanders went to a sci-fi conference and then that's where he saw somebody from julia giving a talk and he was like what what is this and then after it, that was like 2014 something i don't know and then he learned about julia at a sci-fi conference because they have like other language tracks which i think is great right. yeah and that's that's something that i wanted to talk about because at, before we were on the podcast you're like you know i hope people don't really get tired of me talking about python and i'm like I get that like rip like ripping on python people like not being able to manage their dependencies like there, there's some good jokes in there and like some schadenfreude and like 
like you deserve better sort of feeling <laughs> as in like no one should spend time on this like there there's there is a better way like there's a better life out there for you i swear but there's all like i think that there's definitely been i'd like to think a an earnest openness to other programming language communities from within julia like when it comes to the flops we will say like Python, you should not choose Python for these sorts of projects. When it comes to the flops and composability, you should not choose R for this. But that doesn't mean that we don't recognize, like, like the stats ecosystem that R people have is just incredible. Like, right, yeah. There's, there's no denying that. And so I have, a, I have a working, all my blog posts are in process because I just, like, amass them like a big ball of mud over years. But one of them is like all of the good things that Julia stole from other languages. And there's this like conceit from some people that, you know, you can just reinvent the world with just like a couple new programming language ideas and, you know, just like set up like, ah, I'll, I'll just solve all the problems again. But like with this new one new cool trick. And it's like, you know, Julia is not the story of like four genius dudes that got together and just like magically solved multiple dispatch and like got really good at linear algebra. And, you know, just sort of took off. It's If you understand their backgrounds, like Viral was like, ex like excellent at linear algebra. Stefan also had his um, mathematics background. And he was a data scientist who struggled with Ruby and Python and all the dependencies in the Rube Goldberg machine when he was working with Etsy. Jeff started with like um, imaging software in C when he was like a teenager. Like there, there's all of these like backgrounds that sort of like congealed into the knowledge of like all of these things hurt for very like dissimilar but connected reasons there is a better way to do this and the way to sort of build like the core idea like the core ideas of julia are like you need a jit compiler and you want to have like the subtyping algorithm right and those aren't new ideas they came from other places from before and there's like there's just a lot of even even if that was only on the technical end, and this is where we can segue into the ripple. It's almost like he's planned this. Um, so <laughs> th th there's a there's a lot of understated not not only productivity, but there's there's so much of the technology that can go into the tooling, and part of that is how you interface with the language. So it's I mean managing your dependencies is a big pain it doesn't matter if the best code you could ever come up for for i don't know analyzing mris is in some abandoned repo when c++ that only compiles in like some esoteric <laughs> cmake file or whatever it's like all right great that exists nobody has the time to like import your dependencies and figure it out we need like fast enough code and then like the ability to switch like flip like tweak all the knobs to figure out which one applies the best. And so that that story of like, if you're like within a factor of, I don't know, two of C, but you can switch from like 20 different strategies and figure out which one's algorithmically the best. Like who cares if you're not like optimally C? Like you have better things to do with your time than like start running all the kernels and assembly. And there, there's a lot of like, it's very easy to start saying like, oh, I have a benchmark and I did so many operations per second and I serve so many requests. And like, I mean, go off. But it's not really, that's not how humans work. The humans work like, all right, we have X amount of months. We don't have that, the budget for this. Which tool lets us do this without worrying too much about that, right? Like there's constraints. And a very real constraint is how much, like, hum, like prioritizing human time. You know, 
oh no, we don't have the three months for the from the HPC cluster, and it's like you won't even get your grad students to compile like the old, your busted code from someone that abandoned the project like five years ago. Like yeah. it's not a thing that happens. <laughs> like yeah. there's there's like there's just like a, a fundamental misunderstanding of where like technical debt can come from, and it's not. Yeah. I'm not even I'm not even like standing Julia like. Just any language that at least has like a coherent way to like manage your package dependencies, a coherent way of dealing with you know performance and trying to improve it, um, finding out how you can get help on um, not worrying about cross-platform issues. Like these are highly non-trivial things. Like just the amount of stuff yes. you need to like get the terminal working on Windows. You know, it's just it's really really hard. Yeah. People, and I think, and that's why I really, really, really love Julia's Rebel because it's a completely cross-platform experience. Well, not completely. Well, again, I might talk about some of the Windows glitches, but that's because Windows just <laughs> let's just not talk about <laughs> Windows. But there's a lot, there's a lot of stuff that you can do for all the stuff that the Julia Rebel allows you. And I really, really tried like finding other places where I feel as productive where my code feels as fast. I mean, that's a user error right there. Um, where I can find the help docs. Like I've, tr like, I've made an effort to learn other languages as well as Julia. I know they exist. I just miss all the features, right? And, and yeah. in fact, let, let me... So for those, those of you who haven't heard, at JulieCon, there's uh, workshops. So some really cool guy will be like, I'll teach you about GPU programming and how to measure all your kernels and blah, blah, blah. And like, we'll get your code to work on GPUs in this workshop. Or at least I'll talk you through like some really cool examples so you can get on your way and you'll get your hands on the code. And so they're three hours and you're expected to like provide materials for all the audience members to ask questions live and, you know, work through examples. Um, I'm submitting a proposal for JuliaCon, so fingers crossed that I get it so that we get a Julia REPL mastery workshop. And this is part of the outline because, you know, if you're going to be coding in Julia, you're going to be spending a lot of time in the REPL. And if you're not, you should consider so. Uh, you should consider, like, upping up your skills. Um, in the same way that just getting to know your editor can just, like, really pay off dividends. Like, oh, like, knowing what a Vim macro does, really useful. Knowing Vim movement, really useful. I don't, I don't care if it's Vim or Emacs. Like, I just care that you have a tool that lets you manipulate the text in front of you like at the speed of your hands and like as fast as you can think about it. Um, not so much which labels on it. Um, let me, I think I can advertise a little bit of science and I'm like, all right, if <laughs> like, if <laughs> you can tell there's a lot of un, like unfinished stuff to be here. So on my screen, I'm showing a big Google spreadsheet and it says REPL modes. Oh my God, that's a lot. And I just try to come up with, so on Twitter, I'm, I have my handle as like the uh, Julia Ripple stand account. And I chose that deliberately because I was like, you know what, like there's a lot of really smart Julia people. And I don't really want to say that I'm the smartest one or my code is the fastest, but <laughs> the easiest way to figure this out is that I am the Ripple stand. Doesn't yeah. need any qualifications. <laughs> like, you don't, I don't need to prove it to anyone. It just needs to be like, all right, I just really like it. And I get to talk about it when people ask me about it. So I'm like, yeah, why not? I mean, I do enjoy it. Um, and I think people are missing out when they don't, um, when they don't um, use all the features to, to its full extent. And these are some of the features that I try to think about. You know, we have, you have inline doc strings. 
you have a color prompt, you know, like these are the things like whenever I don't have like any of these, I just get like instantly aggravated. Like, oh, yeah. <laughs> Python, there's no color here. Like you can do better. <laughs> uh, I mean, there, there's color in IPython. So that's why I'm including it on the chart as well. Right. So like I want to do like I want to try and give people the benefit of the doubt and like be honest about this. Um, have hot code reloading. Not all languages have hot code reloading. Um, I mean, I have Haskell here, which may or may not have it. I think there's a version of it that does, but like sometimes like, no, you have to reload the file. And all right, maybe I'll, I'll give them a score. I'll figure out maybe like a color coded, make it easier. You know, having access to your repo history, having history smart search, like markdown rendering, image rendering, latex rendering, instantiating environments, running a test suite. Like these, these are just like things that when you don't have them, I'm like instantly just like, ah, oh, God, why am I not using Julia for this? <laughs> and it hurts. Quick access to the shell. That's one that I love. Which one? I don't know if you have it on your, I didn't see the whole list here, but like just having quick access to your shell, right? Uh, shell access. Yeah. In fact, let me, um, let me pull up my, there we go. So I don't know, we can pull up doc strings. So I'm mm -hmm. going to go into, for people that haven't really dived, done a deep dive into the REPL, I'm just going to talk about a few of my favorite features and some of that you might not know, right? So I just pressed a question mark and that goes into help mode and you can see that because it changes color. That's really helpful. Yep. Um, and here's something that some people don't know. Uh, you can also include strings here. In fact, you can include entire regular expressions. So I can do something like... Um, really? Okay. I don't know. Uh, what would be interesting? Um, how about positive, right? And so it will go into all those functions and figure out like, hey, I found the string positive here. <laughs> That's awesome. Okay, cool. <laughs> I did not know that. Yeah, so- And then if, you can you use a regular expression string, as well. Awesome, okay. I think I think, I think, think it does. I, I'm almost sure it does. I, I have it written down. So I can do either, let's say, um, uh, what's something that's not as regular? Um, <laughs> let's say that it ends with or it starts with conjugate maybe sure Something all right like but it does it does take a regular expression that's the thing um there we go that's the one yeah and so if we if we go into linear algebra and this i mean tab completions here are just amazing algebra i mean if i can get to work there we go yeah, well, I should first import linear algebra, I guess. There we go. Uh, this is another one that I just learned. There's a So I could like start retyping the previous command, but if you just do control P, then it like skips back in the history. Um, and that's it's almost the same as like um, searching for the up arrow, but I, I don't know why I'm, I keep finding it so useful. It and looks like you're also using uh, Oh My Repl. Yes. Well. So oh my so oh my repl is like a batteries included experience because if you're not using oh my repl, you miss out on a lot of like the syntax highlighting in colors. So by syntax highlighting I mean that like different things in like um different syntactic elements will be colored differently. So the prompt will be this color, the like the equal sign when it's assigning will be this color, variables will be like black. Function names will be like blue. Like that's what I mean by syntax highlighting, right? If you've never faced that before, it's a really good way to like just like organize the code. And so whenever I don't have syntax highlighting, I also get instantly aggravated. 
there's this really weird thing I've heard from like computer science people sometimes that they're like, no, you don't need colors. Like whenever you're like logging into a shell, you only need Vim and like the raw power of your like masculine <laughs> thought process. <laughs> it, like you don't need colors. And I'm like, why would you ever <laughs> like reject right. tooling to help you? This is just dumb. <laughs> yeah. Um, I, I mean, I've, I've met people like that and it seems all I'll say is that I like to make things easy for myself and yeah, I, colors make it very easy for me to just parse what I'm looking at. So, yeah. <laughs> yeah. So here, here's something really cool that if you haven't figured out, it's really interesting. So let's say that I, you, I, I remember that I had to find this function called, or this variable called, I don't know, zero or uh, ZS. If I just type ZS and then I do the up arrow, it will search in my history for the recent, most recent thing that matches what I wrote. So this is a, I don't know what this was. I used it for like some graphic stuff and I needed to lift. But the point is like, you can have very, very powerful auto. So that, that, that was a feature that I was missing. You can have very powerful, like historical autocomplete. So let's say that I want to see the last parse that I called. That would be control P, control P. There we go. And I can just like keep pressing control P and go back, um, go all the way back in my history. If you want it to be even more powerful, this is something that all my repo includes. So shout out to Christopher Carlson who included this. You can just type control R. And control R sends you into a fuzzy find mode. So I don't know if you've used fuzzy find, but I'm, I, I don't really know how it works, but it's like if you had like a search engine and it did like fuzzy string matching. So I don't know. I want to look at like the last time that I used the GC. And it's like, oh, so it comes up with like all the most recent hits. And it's like, oh, yeah, let's, uh, let's time the GC for this new Julius session. Oh, look. Yeah, no, like the fuzzy find is really nice because if, you, if you're not exactly sure how something was spelled or something like that, but but you know like... Uh, it's kind of like this. Maybe you've got a couple letters off in it. Like the fuzzy find will still find that kind of stuff for you, right? So it, it's yeah. it's not so strict as like it has to be spelled exactly right um, or have all the right characters in the right order. As long as you're close, it'll probably help you find it. So that's so super useful. So now that yeah. we're talking about um, fuzzy string matching, let me bring up this really cool uh, package that someone brought up called the the fix.jl. It's by Michael Slavinsky. So if I did, okay. <laughs> um, I think, so this is another super cool thing. If I just do backslash, you get the REPL auto-completion. This, this wouldn't be a proper Julia talk without somebody talking about Unicode REPL auto-completion. Right? Yeah. <laughs> and so obviously I misspelled sign instead of like half pi or whatever. But here's something cool. I think, <laughs> there we go. <laughs> so, oh, that is awesome. Yeah. Okay. So what just happened? Uh, David, I think that I think you you caught on to this. Yes. You want to try? What, what this reminds me of is there is a package called yes the yeah <laughs> the f word. Um, only not it's not that it's the actual f word, right? But uh, <laughs> and this is something that you can use for like I I think it I've seen once for like uh, like Git and for like just your shell terminal like all whatever. that kind of stuff. And yeah, like if you make a if you make a little mistake in your typing, and like this, like you type sit instead of sign, 
and then instead of having to like go back up through your history or and then like go fix it, you just type like the the f word and hit enter, and it'll just like fix it for you as much as a. Uh, as much as it can. So this is, I think, kind of a reference to that, right? <laughs> yeah. So what's really cool, so obviously within my, um, not obviously, but if you've never used this before, within your, your Julia folder, so this is something else that I love. Um, we can do just to like Vim, and then it will auto, you can autocomplete stuff within the shell. This is just amazing, right? And so yeah. from here, you can do, uh, which one is it? Startup? No. Uh, config there we go and then there's there's a file called startup and so mm -hmm. here you can place like all of your initial packages and it'll eat up some of your startup time but you know i always want to have benchmark tools and all my repls set up so if you there there's a just like a little setup script where you can define like the string for what you want to input if you want to have like the fix come in and be like oh let me guess what you were trying to do and so i have it set up so that every time that i screw up i just type F. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and then it will try to uh, help me out. Here's something that I don't think that you've seen before. If you access this super internals looking um, field name, you can mm -hmm. change the prompt name to whatever you want. Yeah. And so, you know, you can just set it up so that um, equals, you know, talk Julia. There we go. And nice. That's awesome. <laughs> and so you go, sup? And, I mean, that's that's a really silly thing. I, I this one's mostly for show off because if you mess with this, um, if you mess with this, um, what's it called like prompt, then you're you're gonna not let other people copy paste your Julia repl code. Yeah. Right. I, that, so that, that's sure, also yeah. something that I really, really, really like about Julia. It's very easy to just take somebody else's code and just like paste it into your REPL. And that's something yeah. that like you miss, you really miss, like Python really missed the boat on that one. Like having like the significant white space thing, like that really precludes, like that adds like extra 30 seconds to copy pasting people's code because of formatting from Stack Overflow or whatever. In fact, I was not aware of this feature of the, of Julia until relatively recently when Randy was showing me something and he copied a bunch of code that had like all the REPL prompts in it. And he went to like copy and paste. And I was like, Oh, Randy, like you got all your prompts in there. Like it's not going to, and I was like, like, Whoa. And, so, <laughs> and, and I don't know, I don't know what that takes. It takes like, I don't know, maybe a couple hours for one of the core devs to like put it into the language, but it, it's such a multiplier for productivity. And yeah. There, there's this thing that I call the, the the Julia smile factor. Like whenever you really want to try, like <laughs> you're, you you want to like venture out into the waters of like, wait, like I remember there's a parse function, but is there like a try parse function? And then you just go tab, oh, tab, tab. And then like it exists. And then you're like, yeah. oh, wait, does, does this even like, let me see what, what I need to supply the arguments for. And so you also go tab, tab here. And then you're like, oh, those are all the yeah. things. Yeah. <laughs> and so there, there's all of these things that are just like really well gelled together. And when you, whenever you want to like go out and try it and it actually works, you just like, somebody yeah. nailed this. And so that's what that's yeah. what I call the the smile factor. Like whenever you like try something that you don't know if it works, but it really really should, and it does, 
It does. I, just, I have just, experienced it's a, real a lot. Chef's yeah. kiss. So I call those the Julius Smile Factor moments. And, and uh, I've tweeted about it. You know, kind of going back to something you mentioned earlier that I think it is important, though, to recognize that really, all, you know, all this kind of stuff, it's fantastic that they, they did this and it, it makes us smile and it makes us so happy to use Julia. But in some way, you got to you got to hand it to the some of the things that previous languages got either I don't want to say got wrong, but it just didn't maybe they just didn't think about it because it it was too early in the game. Like not a, there wasn't enough ex, like built up experience with working in with programming languages for people to like realize that these were huge pain points yet. Right. So so there's a so that's one of the things that I really respect of the Julia community and like uh, Julia devs as a whole, like they are really big, like as a community, we try to be really big about knowing about prior art and yeah. what didn't work. It's not just like, a, oh, we really need the receipts for all your paper, or all your ideas. Or like, it's not like, who are you and what, what, what is your name? And if you're not, fan, you don't have like fancy credentials, then like, we don't want to hear about it. It's more like, why did this idea work? Or like, where has this been proposed before? And like, should we right. adopt it? It, it, it's not a case of like, all right, Python or R does this. It's sometimes like, all right, they've done that. Does it work? And then someone's like, you know what? It kind of sucks. Why does it suck? And they're like, ah, oh, this. And it's like, all right, we can do better, right? Right. We, yeah. We should learn and learn from from all that experience. I was actually having a conversation with someone on Twitter not not too long ago, where they were telling me how they still thought of like Python as like a new language. <laughs> and it's like well, Python's thirty years old. Like, like Python was created in nineteen ninety, or like it wasn't even version one point I think it was like point nine that they they put out in like ninety one or ninety two or something like that. And you think about what was the world like in nineteen ninety one, nineteen ninety two? How many people had access to the internet? All these things that you kind of like. It's very easy. And I'm not saying you're doing this. I'm saying just you see people like on Twitter and on the internet, like. Will will just trash sometimes like the Python decisions Python developers made, or and it's like you do realize though that like some of these things go back to like the early '90s, and there's so much technical debt there that they have to be very careful about how they make changes now because it affects so many things downstream. And so, really, what what the the beautiful thing about like the Julie and everything is that they've been able to take that. And rather than just saying like, Oh, look, like we do it. It's really, I feel like it's been a much more collaborative kind of aspect where it's like, Hey, we want to learn from the experiences that you got, that you have had with your language and, you know, try to do something better. And I, and I think having the dialogue between language creators and language maintainers and everything just helps everyone. Like it helps new languages be better. It's, and so it's uh, not only you, um, that have been getting this student. It's I think it's been like established, like Julia Core Dev philosophy of like take good ideas wherever they come from and yeah. continually build bridges from people who have done the work yeah. wherever they may come from. And it's so if you go back to so I'm I consider myself besides a Julia Repelstein account I consider myself an amateur YouTube Julia historian because I've seen like. <laughs> I've seen like almost every old talk that Ju like Stefan or Jeff have given about Julia from like way back in the day. And there's there's stuff there from like SciPy conferences and like 
2014. I remember those. I remember Mm -hmm. those for sure. I've seen some. There's some from like Curion, Prague, 2016. Like there's some that they've given at Elixir conferences and they talk about the concurrency model that they have. Like, I mean, it's not the best. And so Stefan says, like, it's not a best fit for us, but like, we really, really wanted actors, but we couldn't get it in. And so that, so one thing has been like the, (laughs) the, the continuous campaign to like, talk about Julia at like wherever Julia forums and like talk to people that have like faced real problems and learn from their experiences. But there's also been at least within JuliaCon, almost every JuliaCon has tried to like extend one of the keynotes to people that are from other programming language communities. So Heather Miller, um, she's a really big Scala contributor. Uh, Guy Steele built generics in Java and tried to build Fortress. Failed along the way, learned a lot of valuable lessons, gave some of them in that talk. Um, Steve Johnson, he he's a monster because he made the Fast Fourier FFTW. Fast Fourier, fast Fourier Transform on the rest. We were really lucky that we got him on as a like Julia language contributor. Um, also, unfortunately, I tried to get someone to uh, keynote for JuliaCon from the Rust programming language community. That won't be happening because of reasons, but I was really excited. I'm hoping that we're going to get a Rustation person to join us um, at a future JuliaCon keynote. But we'll get someone, uh, we just had them confirm, we're going to get someone from another programming language community. And um, it's going to be really cool. Yeah, I'm excited for it. So going back to your point, it's not only like, oh, I feel like Julia people really take it in stride. It's like there's a lot of people from different backgrounds that all had like technical computing as like, I want the flops and I want the interactivity and I don't want to compromise on either. <laughs> right. And so there there were there's just like a lot of worlds where the two language problem just like rears its ugly head again. So, yeah, Miguel, thank you so much for for joining us and, and just showing us Thank so many amazing me. new things. There are two questions though, that we have to ask you before, before we leave here. And that is one, if you do use a code editor, which, which editor do you use to work with Julia? And I said, you know, you said you were a polyglot, but what's your favorite if you had to pick one? I just use the REPL, like straight just up. Just the REPL? <laughs> yeah, like I, I step in, like, does it count if it like sometimes steps in with Vim and then I keep going with sure. the REPL? Yeah, it works. Yeah. Hey, you can answer... I mean, you could say, you know, I write on my my cat's back, and that'd be a valid answer. So. <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'll, I'll say it. Like, I think the REPL is the best ID. It's just the easiest thing to get started with. It doesn't have everything, but it's got a lot of punch. Packs a lot of punch. <laughs> and what what's your favorite Julia package? Oh, I know that's a hard one. Binary Builder, because of what it allows. I don't. So, for those of you who don't know, um. You're you're not gonna reinvent like you're not gonna rewrite all the software in the world in Julia. You're gonna have to depend on other people's C code at some point or something. Sure. And so, what Binary Builder is, it sets up a small virtual machine on your computer so that you go into this sandbox environment, you try to like build a make file for whatever dependency you're running on. Like let's say you're trying to get the world's fastest prime counting algorithm. And somebody has already done that in C and published a paper about it because, you know, nerds. And so, 
um, you like if you download the code to your laptop and then you compile it with Make, like you can definitely call that from Julia. But if you want other people to also have access to that, it's really really hard to just yeah. tell, or not hard, but it's burdensome to tell people like, oh yeah, you should download this and then use Make, and then someone's like, I'm on Windows, and you're like, Ugh. and yeah. so somebody figured it out that you can basically like build a sandbox a Linux sandbox, and then just basically lie to it for all the environment variables and have it build for all the backends that you want if you download them to this sandbox. Yeah. The end result is that Binary Builder provides you with a small wizard within the REPL, right, to, to spice it up a bit. And so you can work through via REPL wizard of like, all right, you're now in a sandbox environment. Try to like do the make file thing and like get the proper um, artifacts set up where they should be. And so the end result is that if one developer sets up the wizard and goes through the process, they can get the code to be shippable for every other OS architecture and you know machine usable by a Julia dev. Yeah. So it, I, did, well, I did this for prime count. Uh, a long while ago because someone had figured out that the best, most efficient algorithm for counting primes was in some C repo somewhere. And I looked at it and it's like, oh, it's just, they're just exporting one function. So it was a really easy uh, make build, fortunately. It can be heroic and almost impossible if people don't even have it set up properly. But like yeah. in the dream scenario where it works, people only ever have to do using prime count underscore JLL. And then they can just write a one-liner function and they have that code available to them. They have the fastest prime counting algorithm published or whatever nice. from within Julia in three lines. Yeah. No matter what OS or laptop they're using. Right. And yeah. so if, so that might be like, you might think it's a, like at first it sounded like a contrived example. And then you figured out that you can pay people to work on this full time, like Mosa Giordano and Elliot Sala, right? And so they're some of the core devs behind it. And they've basically set it up so that all other big Julia packages that depend on these third code party dependencies can just install them via the package manager, just saying like using the JLL. Like that's it. That's all you need. Yeah. And so that is so much like free labor from a lot of people. Right. And it's amazing. Super cool. Um, I think it's one of I think it's one of the most underrated packages in terms of like how much it leverages uh, dev potential across the entire ecosystem. Like just period. Like right. the ability to have third code dependencies be like auto installed behind your like behind the screens and you don't even worry about it it's almost mind-boggling really it's just it's insane i um, agree so yeah i think it's not the most flashy one uh, they have a really nice wizard like they have a literal wizard like within like the <laughs> the prompt like nice. you, you ask for the wizard the rebel wizard and there's like a little dude with a wand and everything it's pretty cool <laughs> in ascii art obviously yeah um nice yeah i think it's that one I, but definitely if it wasn't for that one i'd probably just say oh my ripple because yeah. i hate not having colors on my ripple all right well thanks again miguel for 
for coming on. And uh, this was a, a lot of fun. And I think Randy and I both learned a lot from from this so yeah and i've just been playing in my repo the whole time really <laughs> don't you love having like that clear screen thing like if i don't have it i just get aggravated i get so yeah. aggravated control l well, yeah. all right yeah. well i guess uh thank you miguel and yeah that'll that'll be it all right yep Take we'll, care. we'll see everyone next week